Let's take our Bibles, please, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3 tonight, and we're going to look at several scriptures, but we'll start there, and uh, Brother Judge, if you could put a clock up for me, I, I know you normally do, I just don't see it right now, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and uh, we're going to try to do this in a timely fashion, it's, it's just so much information to be able to even scratch the surface of what's going on in our world today, and perhaps we'll have to do some other Sunday night messages along the way to uh, kind of fill this out a little bit, but tonight we'll just kind of introductory, we'll just kind of give an overview, and then I, I just, I think every once in a while as a church, we need to state very clearly where we stand on certain issues. I, I would say this, that even... 50 years ago, you could go to any church of any stripe, likely, and you, you have a pretty good idea where they stand on abortion. Would you agree with that? There might be some far out there fringe groups in those days even that believed it was okay to kill an unborn child. And you could go to any church of any stripe, whether we even believed they were preaching the gospel or not, and we would know where they stood on homosexuality and transgenderism and all these things. That is no longer the case. That is no longer the case. As a matter of fact, there are more and more churches that are embracing that and uh, calling themselves woke. Woke. I didn't necessarily understand that term a whole lot, but I began to hear it more and more, and I thought maybe I, I should seek to understand it. And so I began to look up some of those things. And the word woke simply means aware of and actively attentive to important societal facts and issues, especially issues of racial and social justice. I think that pretty much covers everything, racial or social justice, doesn't it? I mean, that everybody is touched by that in some way. Now, let, let me say something very clear. We, we've become oversensitive to it. Everything is considered racism nowadays, or everything is considered a social injustice nowadays, and we need to be very careful not to fall into that trap. As a matter of fact, just by way of example, the other day I, I was watching the news, and somebody was very angry. They were from Bermuda. Uh, the, the island of Bermuda, and they were very angry because when somebody uh, talked to them, they said, where are you from? And, and uh, they were trying to, he said, well, you guess. And he said, you're from Bahamas. And he was angry because he says that is white privilege, that you don't know the difference between a man from Bermuda and a man from Bahamas. That's white privilege. That's racism. Let me ask you something tonight, folks. Looking at me up here on the platform, can you tell if my heritage is from Scotland or England? Well, that's privilege then. But that's where we've fallen into, isn't it? That's, that's how severe this has gotten. It's okay if it's only one way, but not the other. And so it's a world gone crazy, it really is. But the Bible says it was going to happen. We ought not be surprised by it. Here's the real problem, is when it creeps into the church. We are to be salt and light. We are to be different from the world. And so let's look at the Word of God tonight and see if we can sort some of this out. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and look in verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. He said, well, this is a prophecy that Paul is giving to Timothy about the future. No, he's not. The last days were already there. So how do you know that? Because on Acts chapter 2, 
Peter stands up in the midst of the people and then they were speaking in tongues and every man was hearing the gospel in their own language and and Peter stood up. They thought they were drunken. They thought there was something wrong. And so Peter stood up in the midst. He says, these men are not drunken as you have supposed. But he says, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of the prophet Joel that in the last days, God would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Peter is saying this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of the last days. We are already in the last days. We have been in the last days since the Lord Jesus Christ ascended into the heavens, and now we await his return. I've had people, I've heard preachers say, well, we are in the very latter days of the last days. I cannot prove that scripturally. I do not know that. I would sure like to think that the Lord will return before I have to go to the undertaker. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful the trumpet sounded tonight? You know, I, I believe that all my kids are saved and my daughter-in-law and my son-in-law are saved and my grandson's too young. And, and, and you say, well, maybe you're being selfish. I've got unsaved loved ones. And I don't mean to, to, to make light of that in any way. But wouldn't it be wonderful if the Lord were to come tonight? That would be wonderful. But we cannot prove it. We do not know. To our best of our ability, we read the scripture and we try to discern the times and we hope that we understand the seasons, but the Bible says no man knoweth the hour. And that's where we stand tonight. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, False accusers, incontinent, that means without self-control, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. You say, well, he's talking about a lost and dying world. Number one, I want you to notice something. He never says men outside of the church. He says all men in general. This is a blanket label. This is not just saying the lost or the unsaved. He's saying men shall be. And I don't know that we can exclude ourselves from that. But notice verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. It seems that these folks that are behaving in such a way in the last days are those that claim to know the Lord. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Let's pray. Father, help us. Lord, and the, the scripture goes on to further admonish us to turn away from these. Lord, help us to have the discernment and the wisdom to know the difference. Lord, I pray that you'd use this time tonight, Lord, that the message is a difficult one as far as keeping everything straight in my mind. And I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit of God would speak. That he would work through the, the, the time of study and the time of preparation but more importantly, that he would just speak to our hearts and help us as a church to take the right stand for God. Lord, help it to be a balanced stand. We stand for truth, but we also show love, grace, and mercy. Help us never to forget that God said that for the wages of sin is death, and that's truth. But the gift of God is, Jesus, is eternal life through Jesus Christ, and that's grace. Help us have that same balance in our lives towards the lost. So, Father, I need your help. I submit to you. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Turn, if you will, to 2 Timothy. You're already in 2 Timothy chapter 3, but I want you to notice a couple things tonight. First of all, I just want to mention as a, as a point of uh, uh, interest tonight, number one, the culture in decline. The culture in decline. I think a lot of times when we compare uh, what we are going through today or what we are seeing in our society today, we often compare it to a generation or two before us. But the truth is, Culture has been declining for thousands of years. You'll remember a time where the Bible says that the the sin of man came up in the nostrils of God and God repented that he made man on the earth and decided that he would destroy the entire earth with a flood. And God said to himself, the triune God said that the, the heart of man is evil continually, that he might destroy all flesh from his presence. Say Noah who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What I'm trying to impress upon your hearts tonight is that this is nothing new that is going on. I think there was a revival in North America of, of such in, in over the last century or so where we have seen uh, there was a certain amount of modesty in our society. Would you agree with that? That we look back to parents and grandparents and we say they, they lived a very different life. They lived a cleaner life than people do today. We didn't hear about all this nonsense. But let me tell you this, it might have been closeted, but it was there. Maybe not to the extreme, but the root of sin still existed. And today, because of the acceptance of it, it has become rampant. I would say that the decline of our culture is not just a one-time decline, but it is almost like a roller coaster through history. We see a renaissance or a revival of such, whether or not it is a spiritual revival. We see a revival in morality and a revival in, in, in respect for others and a revival in, in our legal systems and things where things get better for a while and then they begin to deteriorate again. I think a great book of the Bible that helps us understand this phenomenon is the book of Judges. Is as Israel would fall into sin and God would send a judge and, and then people would get right with God and they would go forward for a little while and then they'd fall into sin again. It'd say over and over and over, Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so God sent another judge. And Israel, like the entire course of the world, would go up and back down again and up and back down. And I, I think it's safe to say that we are finding ourselves in a steep decline today. There are those in this room that, would, that have lived long enough to say, I never thought I'd see the day. I never thought I'd see the day. I have lived long enough, and I've said this to you before, I've lived long enough now that I've said to my wife and others, if they are even talking about it today, 10 years from now, it'll just be commonplace in our society. When they begin to allow homosexual unions, Christians cried out and said, well, where will they stop? Pretty soon they'll have four or five wives or they'll have all kinds of other things going on. They'll be married. And oh no, that'll never happen. It's happening every day. It has become rampant in our society. So we see the culture in decline. Notice what the scripture says. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And here's some of the things that we've read in passing. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, prouds, blasphemers. Listen, those things, we, we, can, we can look at our society and we can pick out somebody that, that uh, characterizes every one of those traits, can't we? Somebody that loves themselves, somebody who's covetous, somebody who's a boaster, a proud, a blasphemer, disobedient to parents unthankful, unholy. But look what it says next. Without natural affection. 
all grouped into the same thing. Now, liberals will say, well, that's not what, that, what you think it means. The Bible says that when God made a man and a woman, he gave them to each other to be husband and wife. That is natural affection. The Bible says that these in this last days will be without natural affection. Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. I want you to notice this evening, first of all, it is a prophetic decline. This did not take God by surprise, by the way. This is a prophetic decline. It's laid out very clearly in the word of God. Look, if you will, at chapter 3 and jump down to verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Let me read that again. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse. Worse and worse. Well, this is, this is horrible. I can't see how the, the Lord may not return if, if things don't turn around. God has got to come back and judge the world. But the Bible says evil men shall wax worse. It's very possible if the Lord tarries his coming, it could get much worse than this. We are a culture in decline. It is a prophetic decline. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 3 says this, Knowing first that there shall come in the last days scoffers, Walking after their own lusts. He said, what does that mean? It means they have nothing to govern them other than self. It is much like when the Old Testament says, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Scoffers walking after their own lusts. The book of Jude echoes that sentiment when it says, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who would walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, listen to this, sensual, having not the Spirit. Here's what I know. If you have not the Spirit, you are not a child of God. I don't see that, say that to be unkind. I say that as a factual truth. There's a political commentator in the States who is an Orthodox Jew, and he says this often, facts don't care about your feelings. How many of you heard that? Facts don't care about your feelings. And I'm not here to hurt your feelings, but I'm here to tell you the truth tonight. That there's an undeniable fact of Scripture that there is a decline. And the Bible says if they are, they are sensual, meaning they're guided by their senses, they are walking after their own lusts, and they have not the Spirit. They are not saved. I don't think that's a surprise to any of us when we see these parades going down the street and we see all kinds of things in our media of how they're abusing our children and cutting them up and doing uh, uh, surgeries on these confused little children. And we say they, they can't possibly know Jehovah God. How could they possibly claim to know Jesus and have a regenerate heart if, if this is what they are allowing? But the problem is, is when it gets in the church... Because then we have an unspiritual, sensual, unregenerate church membership. And that is truly not a church at all. So we see it as a prophetic decline, but we also see it as a prescribed decline. In other words, God has laid out how it's going to take place. Look, if you will, in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 tonight. I told you we'll look at a few scriptures, so have your Bibles ready. Romans chapter 1. Look down to verse 21. I've often referenced this passage 
but rarely do we take some time to take it apart a little bit. Revelation chapter 1, verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became, man, but, sorry, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. If I could just stop there for a moment tonight, and, and I just feel like I just feel like I could stop there and preach the rest of the night. Because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. That's step one in this decline. How many of you in this room tonight say, well, we know God? I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest to you tonight that we have a relationship with God like Moses or Joshua did. Moses stood in the tabernacle and God came down and spoke to him as a man would speak to his friend. And Joshua was hiding in the corner and when Moses went back to the camp, Joshua says, no, I'm staying right here because this is where God is. But I, I, I would hope to think that through Jesus Christ, you have met God and you know him. And you're getting to know him better each day as you read the scriptures and you go boldly into the throne room of grace and you kneel at his feet and you lay out your request unto God. Here's the danger. It says, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. I don't know why, but the Holy Spirit began to mess with my heart as I read that verse a moment ago. How many times do we say we know God and yet we try to grab things back for our own control? God, I know you, but I don't trust you with this. I'm not going to glorify you with God with this situation. Glorify you as God with this situation. I'm not going to trust you with my workplace environment. I'm not going to trust you with this financial crisis. I'm not going to trust you with this health need. And so I'm not going to glorify you as God. It comes if we don't pray. We don't seek his face. That was the first step to their spiritual decline because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful. Isn't that a, such a simple thing just to say, thank you, Lord? And they just missed the chance of being thankful to God and their heart began to draw away. He said, why is thankfulness so important? Because when we are thankful, we are acknowledging that God did this. God supplied my need. God healed my cancer. God took care of my family. God provided in a miraculous way. And that's, that's what it means to be thankful. Acknowledging those things that God has done for us. And when we cease to acknowledge those things, we are not acknowledging him or glorifying him as God. That's the first step. A lot of times I hear this phrase, now be careful, that's a slippery slope. And I, I struggle with that phrase because I don't believe in it. I don't believe that a certain thing would necessarily lead to another. I think you can take a stand for something right here if you want, and you don't have to go that way or that way. I just believe that. But here's what I do know, that the Scripture gives us a slippery slope in Romans chapter 1. And the first step is an unthankful, ungrateful heart that does not recognize the very glory of God. Verse 22, here's the thing, what happens next? Professing themselves to be wise. I can handle this, God. I've got this under control. I don't need God. Why would I need God? 
Years ago, Cody's uh, cousin was killed in a car accident, and I went uh, to the funeral home and to the funeral, and I, I saw his aunt there, and I, I went to his aunt, and I, I said, uh, listen, Sharon, I just want you to know that our church has been praying for you, we'll continue to pray for you, and she says, why? What difference does that make? Now, obviously, she was an atheist. She didn't believe in God at all, but even unsaved people normally will say, I appreciate your care, your concern. Thank you for thinking about me. Thank you for coming. But it was very hard against the gospel because we profess ourselves to know more than God. I don't need God. It is a slippery slope in this case. They didn't glorify him as God. They were unthankful. They became vain or empty in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened. They refused to believe. And professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory. of the, here, Here's what blows my mind. They changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man. They said, we don't need God. We are smarter than God. We have all the wisdom we need. But I'm still going to make this golden calf. It didn't make them wiser. It made them foolish. It took them from a place of having the enlightenment of having God in your life to a place of darkness. And that's where this foolishness leads. Verse 23, they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Here's the thing. Whether or not we have any time tonight to get any sort of details, and I'll be very careful if we do. We need to understand something. You were created in the image of God. The image and the likeness of God. And ever since then, Satan has sought out to destroy the image of God. Think about that. What happened in the garden? Cain rose up. And he slew Abel, the very image of God. That's all Satan has been trying to do. Destroy that image over and over and over again. And Romans tells us that's so true. He says, wherefore God gave them more to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, the desires of their own hearts, doing what they wanted to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. An attack on the image of God. I believe it's Genesis chapter 9 that tells us that God does not accept very well those attacks on his image. Now look at the next verse. The next verse. Who, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. Can I, can I just define that for you really quickly? They worshiped the creature more than the creator. That is a wonderful summary statement of what our world is like today. I'm going to follow after the lust of my heart. I'm going to do that which is right in my own eyes. Nobody has a right to tell me what to do. Let me say this. The moment any society 
prescribes any law at all, you are imposing your morality on somebody else. The moment I put a speed limit sign up and the city council says, let's make it 50 kilometers an hour, you are saying, as a people, we want to impose our rules and our laws and our morality on somebody else. And, And I have no problem with that because we ought to be a nation of rules and laws. But they don't like it when you get talking about personal things. But here's the thing, God already said it, thou shalt not kill, so abortion is a sin. God created men and women, male and female, created he them. And we ought not go against God's designed order. That is God's will. And so we see this decline continue, and it's, it's all laid out, prescribed for us in Romans chapter 1. They changed the truth of God into a lie. And by the way, for anybody to get where we are today, you'd have to call God a liar. Because this is the truth. And that you'd have to call it a lie. And that's what they do. For this cause, God gave them over, I'm verse 26, unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, buried, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meet. I do not know for the life of me how anybody can misinterpret that. There's so many today who say, well, that's not mean what you think it means. I'll tell you what, I'm just going to take the Bible for what it says. It's plain, it's simple, and I'm going to believe what God said about it. I, I don't know how you misinterpret it. And verse 28, here's the, the final slipping point. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Well, of course not. Because if there is a God, you're accountable to him. And you will stand in judgment before him one day. And you will give an answer for those things which are done in your bodies. You ever wonder why the Bible says those things which are done in your bodies? Because you are the image of God. And Satan has been attacking it. And you will give an answer. So they don't like to think about God. So God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient I won't read any further for now. That word reprobate is a word of kind of a source of debate. I looked it up and tried to understand it means not passing the test, not fit and worthy of judgment. Some believe that if if you are reprobate, you can no longer be saved, that you have passed a certain point and you cannot be redeemed. I struggle putting limits on God. I believe God can save anybody he wants to save. But if God has put the limit of being reprobate, it's possible. I don't know. I'll leave that up to God. But I'm saying this, a reprobate mind is somebody that's going to have a hard time turning back. Because their mind is so deep and corrupted by sin and they're given over to that lifestyle and they've turned the truth of God into a lie, why would they ever believe the scriptures and repent? Our culture is in decline. It is a prophetic decline It's a prescribed decline. But I want you to also notice this. The culture's in denial. The culture's in denial. They don't call it sin. They call it being woke. They call it being politically liberal or in tune with people's feelings and sensitive to others. And so they're careful about everything they do, but they allow every imaginable sin under the sun to take place. Look back in Romans chapter 1 and just notice verse 18 with me. Verse 18, 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I started in verse 21 a few moments ago on purpose because I wanted to kind of conceal this part of the scripture. Here's the thing about these people that are in a cultural decline. They know God. They don't know him in the sense that you and I know him through the Son, Jesus Christ. They are not regenerate people. They are not born-again people, but they have knowledge of his existence. The Bible is very plain in verse 18 that uh, the wrath of God is revealed. And why is it revealed? Because they hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Nobody can ever stand before God and say, it's not fair, you never told me. They are without excuse. Can you imagine a God that would hold us accountable to his law and yet never tell us? That's not a loving God. But we have a loving God who says even the creation in its handiwork testifies of the glory of God. No man will have an excuse when they stand before the Lord one day. So we see the culture in denial. First of all, they deny his existence but even more so, they deny his authority. Verse 21 to 23, I've already read, and I won't rehash it, but just let me give you the first few words, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. You know, one of the best ways you can glorify God is saying, yes, Lord, I'll obey. I believe your word. I'll do what it says. If you said it, even if I don't like it, I'm going to follow it and believe it. That's one of the best ways we can bring glory to God is by acknowledging his authority in his life. Again, I want you to consider the progression. Verse 21 talks about their pride. Their pride, they were vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart would darken. We see their profession of their own merits in verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And then we see the progression in verse 23, they make their own gods and become gods unto themselves. Can we honestly say that the mess that we see in our world today, that they have any regard for God? They couldn't possibly. But here's what we really need to focus in on for a few minutes tonight. We've seen the culture in decline and the culture in denial. But I want to talk to you about the church in danger. The church in danger. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. 
And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Before I give you any points on this, I want to make something clear, at least as far as my understanding is concerned. I believe as Paul is speaking to Timothy, we understand Timothy was left to organize churches. That's why we see in 1 Timothy the, the instructions about deacons and bishops and pastors and elders and things that were laid out for Timothy to go and teach. And he says, let no man despise thy youth. You go out and do this job and plant these churches. Help these churches get established. Now Paul says to Timothy, preach the word. Be instant, in season, or be consistent. Don't be afraid. Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, reprove rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and doctrine. And notice what it says in verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Now let me ask you this. What context does it feel like he's talking about? I know we're to go in the highways and hedges and, and preach the word of God to all the world. I understand that. But I believe he's talking about the context of a church. Where do you hear preaching? You might hear it on the street. You might hear it in some open field somewhere where they're having an evangelistic type meeting. But mainly you hear it in a church. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. That means there, there's some consistency about this. He says, every time you preach, I want you to be consistent. And so it seems like every time you gather, you're going to have preaching. And I want you to preach the word. Don't preach your opinion. And don't, don't preach a, a, on some soapbox about what you think should be going on. But preach the word of God. And then he says this, because the time will come. That those you are preaching to will not endure sound doctrine. But they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. I remember years ago, a guest preacher came through. It was in the States. It was at a meeting. And uh, I remember this preacher came through and, and uh, somebody said to me, man, wasn't he hilarious? I mean, wasn't he a hoot? I mean, I, hey, the guy is so funny. He just had me laughing the whole thing, the whole service and everything. And I said, hey, do you remember what they preached? Uh, itching ears. I'll remember that preacher and I enjoy that preacher because he made me laugh. Because we had a great time. For far too long, churches have become circuses and places of entertainment. God help us if we don't preach the word of God. The church is in danger when we begin to embrace that culture. I want to tell you, 50 years ago, there was only one or two churches in Canada that might embrace that. There's far more today. I remember back in 2003, we were renting at that time uh, in the United Church of Canada. The Stony Creek United Church, I'll just go ahead and say their name. I'm not, it's not my job to, to defend their reputation. We were renting, and they, they, had, uh, they were a very historical place. They were uh, over 200 years old, and the minister, by self-admitting, he said this. He says, we are the oldest social center in Ontario. And I thought, oh, 
God help us if we're ever called a social center. And so when they built a new auditorium in the late 1960s, they decided they had to keep their old Methodist auditorium. They, they couldn't tear it down. That would be, it was the oldest church in Ontario at the time. They said, we cannot, we cannot tear that down. And so they kept it, and they built a whole other auditorium right beside it, and they let us just rent that thing all to ourselves. We had 250-seat auditorium. Our room was as big as this, wasn't it, hon? And we had that all to ourselves. I remember Brother Bachman coming one night. We had no air conditioning. He couldn't stand it. And I remember in 2003, one, one day, they would have an early service. They'd be at 10 a.m. to 11, and we didn't start till 11.30 because we didn't have a lot of parking. And so we would wait till they were gone, and we'd come in at 11.30 and have our church service. And I remember that day, they were all down in the gym, and I, I, I said to them, uh, somebody in the hallway, I said, what's going on in the gym? You got a banquet or something today? And they said, no, we're having a meeting, and we're deciding whether or not we were going to do same-sex marriages. That was the day I decided we had to get a building. Because I felt like society looked at us as two churches, and we were cooperating and getting along real well, and I thought, I don't want to be identified with that. I don't want to be a part of that. And I remember getting up in the pulpit that morning and saying, listen, we need to have a meeting here this morning. And I told them what was going on down the hallway. And I said, listen, they're having this meeting. And so, so we should also have a meeting. And here's what the Bible says of a man also lie with mankind as he lie with a woman. Both of them had committed an abomination. And I said, meeting adjourned. Hey, where God's word is plain, we don't need to discuss. We don't need to take a vote. And we don't have to decide. But there are thousands upon thousands of churches today that have embraced it and have accepted it. Listen, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not one. If, if I knock on somebody's door and I get talking to them and I find out that they, they go to Emmanuel or they go to a Bap, Grace Baptist or something like that, I, I, I shake their hand and we talk a little bit and we talk about different people that we know at each other's churches and I'm thankful that they know the Lord and, and I, I might give them a gospel try, but I never say, hey, listen, Bethel's better, come over here. But if I find out they're going to a church that says it's okay to mutilate children and it's okay to abort little babies and it's okay to marry homosexuals, I'll say, hey, you need to come where there's truth. I'm not here to steal somebody's sheep, but listen, you're not sheep at all if you're not preaching the truth of God's word. And we need to, we must, we must take a stand because the church today is in danger. The church is in danger. You say, how does it happen? Look at verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Number one, a refusal to adhere to sound doctrine. The word doctrine sometimes scares us. The word doctrine, here, here's a simple way to remember it. It means Bible truth. Lots of different organizations have doctrines. Doctrines is just a body of truth or a body of beliefs. For the, for the Bethel Baptist Church, our doctrine is the Bible. It is the Word of God. Why? Because verse 2 tells us what doctrine does. It reproves, it rebukes, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy the same thing. 
He says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And can I say this tonight? That's the very reason the world doesn't like it because they don't like to be reproved or corrected. Don't you dare tell somebody they're doing what they're doing is wrong or an affront to God. I'm so thankful for the word of God that tells me when I'm wrong. It tells me when I've messed up. Because in those very same pages, I find the grace of God that will forgive me and love me and cleanse me of my sin. A refusal to adhere to sound doctrine. Number two, it's a pursuit. Listen, it is a pursuit of moral relativism. A pursuit of moral relativism. You say, what is that? Look at verse 4. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Over and over again, we've seen that phrase, after their own lusts. Well, the Bible is relative to my morality. As whatever I think that means. And I've heard in times in Leviticus and Deuteronomy where it talks about a man shall not lay with a man as he does with a woman. And, 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 and they'll twist that and say, well, that's talking about temple prostitutes. And that's talking about, it just says a man with a man. It doesn't say anything about prostitutes in that passage. And they, they try to make it morally relative to their situation. You say, how does that happen? Number one, through the reinterpretation of Scripture. The reinterpretation of Scripture. I'm, I'm not saying a misinterpretation. I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. I am feeble and frail as dust, and I misinterpret the Scripture all the time. I sometimes get mad at Brother Kevin. I don't have to say anything else, and you'd all understand that, right? But he'll text me something. He's reading in the Bible, and he'll text it to me. He says, hey, do you think? And I'll go, well, now I do. How come I didn't see that before? Just the Lord gave him something in his devotions, and he, 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 he shows it to me, and I go, oh, well, now I can't preach it because he found it. And it just bothers me. And so sometimes we misinterpret, don't we? We read the scriptures over and over again, and all of a sudden the light goes on. Oh, is that what you meant, Lord? I'm not talking about that. That's because we are feeble and frail. I'm talking about taking the word of God, the very plain sense of scripture, and totally reinterpreting it. Changing the very words and mind of God. And that's, that's what the liberals will do today, and that's what unbiblical people will do today. Listen, for years and years, there's been attack on the inspiration and the preservation of Scripture, and those that are outside the church simply do not believe it's God's Word, and that's to be expected. But in this day that we live today, what is equally abominable is those from within the church reinterpreting Scripture to create a God of their own choosing. Isn't that what Romans 1 says they did? They worship the creature more than the creator. If you read that and understand that, that doesn't mean they stopped worshiping the creator. They just worship themselves more. And as a result, they made a, a gods of brass and iron and wood and stone and those who are four-footed beasts, and they worship them. But eventually it got to the point where they didn't want to retain God in their knowledge. But they had to reinterpret Scripture. They'll ask questions like, Yea, hath God said... Right from the Garden of Eden. They'll ask you, but what does the Bible really mean by that? Could that be interpreted differently? No. I believe that God told us in such a way that we could not misunderstand these important topics. 
Do you know the Bible in the Old Testament pronounces a death sentence for anyone that would abort a baby? When you harm a child in the womb, the death should come upon that person. I'm not advocating for that. And you say, wait a minute. You don't believe the Bible? I absolutely do. Here's my stand on that. I believe that we ought to support what the Bible says, but I think as born-again Christians, we ought not be clamoring for blood. I think we ought to be a people of grace, a people that shares the gospel with people and tells them about Jesus and tries to win them to the Lord. I know a family that had an abortion before they got saved, and they're not here in this church and they went to their pastor and they said, Pastor, every time you mention abortion, we just, we just broken inside and we just weep. And he said, can I tell you you've been forgiven? Let me remind you that Christ has washed away all your sins. That's in the past and you've been forgiven. And so I'm so thankful for grace. But we ought not stick our head in the sand and ignore that these things take place. And so we see the reinterpretation of Scripture. We are commanded to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered. It has not changed. God gave his word. It was once delivered. It has not changed over the years. It has not even been adapted to our culture or society. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he does not change. The Bible says this, Peter said, the word of God is not of any private interpretation. Hey, you don't get to twist the scriptures. I've been to a Bible studies where they say, well, you know, maybe that's what that means to you. No, that's what it means to everybody. That's the truth of God's word. How do you misinterpret? He that hath the son hath life, but he hath not the son of God hath not life. Even a kindergarten kid will tell you what that means. The Bible is plain. We must not reinterpret it. But secondly, we redefine the terms of Scripture. Redefine the terms of Scripture. Rather than taking an attack on the broad concepts and principles of the Word of God, they sing, seek to emphasize certain terms as the true themes of Scripture. And so in the context of what we were talking about today, you say, what do you mean? How many of you have heard this? Well, God is love. God is love. God is love. And for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to die on a cross called Calvary, to shed his blood because we are all sinners. And whosoever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But they just want 1 John 4, 4. And so they redefine the terms and say, well, God is love and love is love and we should all just love one another. And if a 13-year-old wants to mutilate their body and a 10-year-old little boy wants to dress up like a girl and, and they are mentally sick. And, and listen, by the world way, there's a lot of people in the world today that will say, well, that's a mental illness. I believe it's more than a mental illness. I believe it's a demonic infestation in our world. I think we need to look at this through spiritual eyes. Because if it were simply a mental illness, we would have been having it for generations, but it has exploded as Satan has gained a foothold in our society. And not just here, it's all around the world. It's a demonic manifestation, infestation. And so they redefine the terms of Scripture, and this narrow-minded approach lacks the balance. They say, well, God is love, so I don't believe in hell. And God is love, so homosexuals can get married. And God is love. God is also justice. God is also holiness. God is also righteous. And we miss out on that balance. 
We cannot redefine the scripture. They embrace the love and the mercy and the grace of God, but they de-emphasize the concept of sin. So how does this affect us as a church? We are mandated to preach the whole counsel of God, so we should take a stand. And I, I, I honestly, I don't like preaching on these things. I really don't. I, I, I would love to just get up and be the smiling preacher and preach on Jesus every service. Love it. But there's a lost and dying world that needs to know that sin has a judgment. But there's a Savior who can save their souls. And so how do we balance that as a church? You know, every generation has fought something. The battle might be a different type of doctrine, might be a different issue, but they have fought a battle nonetheless. This just happens to be the battle that we have to face, woke Christianity. A few years ago, my daughter said to me, she says, Dad, how come a lot of preachers are preaching about gay marriage and all these things? And I said, well, here's the thing. I said, there's a lot of sin in this world, but that's the one that they're trying to get into our kindergarten kids. That's the one they're writing children's books about. Those drag queens are the ones that are sitting in our public library in Simcoe and reading books to children. That's why we have to attack this, because that's the one that they are attacking us with. Woke Christianity. It should be no surprise that the world is like this, but it saddens me there's so many churches that have embraced it, that have accepted it. So what do we do? Woke Christianity is that group that embraces homosexuality as an alternate lifestyle. Even embracing and promoting marriages among them and even in their churches. Just recently, I've had to be very careful. I had somebody call me and say, would you do this wedding? And I said, no, I, I, won't. I can't do that wedding. And the reason I couldn't do that wedding... There was more than one reason, but one of the main reasons was because that same young man that wanted to get married has a sister in a homosexual relationship, and I thought, mom and dad's going to ask me to marry them next, and I don't want to go down that road. It was a family member, and I just said, I, just said, I can't do it. I can't do it. I said, I'll do marriages for Bethel Baptist Church. But I just don't want to go down that road because I knew that would be the very next marriage coming down the pipe in that family. And who are they going to call first if I already did one wedding for them? What a, what a horrible day we live in. And so we have to be very careful. We don't embrace those things. The idea that there are multiple genders. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. I looked up the definition. They said, well, gender and sex are two different things, they say. I looked it up in Merriam-Webster's dictionary. For the last 500 years, the terms have been used interchangeably. It's only been in the last few years that they feel like it's something different. Well, I'm glad some snot-nosed 21-year-old kid thinks he knows better than 500 years of human history. I'm sorry, I should have never said snot in the pulpit. <laughs> What, what a horrible, horrible thought. 
but we have redefined the parameters of what is right and what is wrong. The Bible said that this day would come, that they would keep, call, evil, uh, call evil right and right evil, good evil. And we're living right smack dab in the middle of that day. And so what do we do? Now listen, I, I could list a hundred different things that, that we are facing today and I won't. So lest we take the word of God, and here's the, here's the thing we have to be careful about, folks. Lest we take the word of God and use it as an excuse to hate other people, we must learn how to hate the sin and love the sinner. We have to learn that. Why do we hate the sin? Because it destroys. Listen, you say, well, you're, a, you're a homophobic. I'm not afraid of them. Isn't that what phobia used to mean? No, in fact, I know a Savior who loves them and wants to save them. We have to balance, don't we? I'll tell you this, there will never be a drag queen sitting on this platform reading the Word of God. That won't happen. But if one walks into the service next Sunday, we'll do our best to get them the gospel. I won't let them in the bathrooms. I'm not sure which one they'd go in. I won't let them in the Sunday school class. We'll be very firm about those things. If they start misbehaving in church and are poor example, they're gone. I'm just saying there's got to be a balance. But I'm hoping and I'm praying that somebody will go to them and say, let me tell you about Jesus. You need a Savior. You say, why? Now, hold on, don't get upset. For such were some of you. For such were some of you. I dare say, and I'm not pointing the finger at anybody, if you didn't get saved when you did, would you be one of those situations today? Maybe not practicing, but accepting it and promoting it. For such were some of you. Some of you. We're just sinners saved by grace. And we need to hate the sin, but love the sinner. They must be reached through the gospel. Listen, you say, well, I believe a reprobate mind is somebody that cannot be reached, but we don't know when they get there. We don't know if they have a reprobate mind or not. That's something only God knows. And so we keep preaching the gospel. We must approach them with pity and compassion. If you met a drunkard in the street, you'd feel sorry for them. Sometimes we see this and our reaction is anger. Our reaction is to make fun of them. And by the way, if they're, if they're hurting your children, I, I get angry too. I don't want that influence in our public spaces. And we ought to take a stand. And we ought to unashamedly say this is what we believe. But we also have to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. If we are not willing to preach the gospel to the lost, we will also cease to be a church. Because we are not carrying out the commission that God gave us. So balance. I don't know how to land the plane, so let's have a word of prayer, and I'm going to stop there. I've got pages more I could give you, but it's 6.30. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us. Lord, I think it's clear tonight that at least everybody in this room would know where we stand on these issues. 
the abortion of babies, the mutilation of our children, and these transgender psychosis that we see around, the morality of our world sinking to seemingly the lowest depths. Lord, when the Bible says evil men shall wax worse and worse, I I wonder aloud, how could it get worse? Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Help us to go to a lost and dying world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, would would you even create in us a heart with a special insight of how we might reach these hurting folks. They're under attack of the devil. There's just no doubt in my mind. The Bible's very plain that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But we know that the evil one is behind all of it. So God, would you just help us to have that special insight? Would you burden some hearts about how the best way, if we want our society cleaned up, the best way is that they meet Jesus and come to know him as Savior. Lord, help us, we pray. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand tonight with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Would you pray for our society? Would you pray for wisdom? This has touched our family. I have a little cousin that's born a little boy and about nine years old, dresses like a girl every day of his life. raising money to paint sidewalks, rainbows across our, our county. You've seen, seen him in the paper, and that's, that's our family. I just mentioned I have another cousin that ran into her in Walmart and introduced me to her daughter and her daughter's wife for whatever, common law. Would you pray for our society? There's not likely a family that's not touched somehow by it. We need to show grace and mercy and love while we also stand for truth. One cannot be sacrificed for the other.